0: Well, it's great to be with you. The last time I was here a few months ago, um, we talked about soundtrack. Remember that? And I don't know why, but <laughs> there's a CD at the side of Dave down there, Don Moen, and he's one of my soundtracks. I just caught my eye and thought, please do keep a good soundtrack in your head. <clears throat> keep filling your, you know, the world of your, uh... well, you know what I'm saying. I won't preach that sermon again. Because as I've thought about today and been communicating with Dave over the over the weeks, I've, I've, I want to take you to a story today that I think is quite crucial and has something to teach us very specifically this morning. And it's to the final conversation that took place between Jesus and Peter. Remember, Peter was one of the, the 12 disciples. He was kind of the leader of the pack in many respects, both in character and persona, and he becomes the guy who leads the charge of building the church once we get into the book of Acts. But before we get to all that excitement of Acts, before Pentecost hits, before he starts healing people just by his shadow going on them, and all sorts of amazing things, Jesus has to sort Peter out. And how many of you know that to really be used by God like he wants to use us Jesus has to sort us out first. (laughs) Now it's a process and it is grace. He sorts us out on the journey. As life presents situations, he works with us and sanctifies us and helps us become complete and all that he wants us to be. And it struck me for some reason that Matthew, Mark and Luke, those three gospel accounts, all finish with the Great Commission and a warning just to stay together and wait in Jerusalem because the Spirit's going to fall, then Jesus ascends. But John's gospel, which was written a bit later because he, he outlived the other gospel writers, he wrote his gospel aware of the other three, so it's very complementary to them rather than sort of repeating the same story, he, he finishes with a different conversation with Peter. And I'd like us to, to read it together. Now, just for context, remember... Peter's been really close to Jesus. He's one of his closest companions, one of the three disciples that Jesus exposed to more than the other nine. <clears throat> but he'd blown it. Oh, boy. He'd blown it. He denied Jesus just before the crucifixion. He, he, people had said, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? No, no, I don't know that guy, Jesus. And he'd done it three times. We don't know why, whether it was fear, whether it was lack of confidence, whether it was to save face, but he did it. Even though Jesus had warned him that he would do it. And then the cock crowed three, and he he realizes, "Ah, you idiot, what have you done? And there's just this wonderful line in one of the gospels where it says that Jesus looked at Peter, caught his eye, and his heart must have sunk into his boots. And Matthew's account says that Peter goes outside and he weeps bitterly. I think those were tears of repentance and, and getting himself back on track. But he never had a chance to put that right. Jesus is on the cross, crucified, dead. He's never, he's, not, he's never been able to have a conversation to put that right with his Lord. And then, of course, the resurrection happens and John and Peter run to the tomb and Jesus isn't there. Now Jesus does appear twice into a room where Peter is and it's like whoa. So he knows Jesus is resurrected but it, there must have been this eating away in him. Ah, I need to put this right with Jesus. I need to, ah, do, I, do I just say sorry? What do I do? Do I apologise? And Jesus is not just giving him his moment yet. And eventually he gets his moment. Peter decides, I'm going to go fishing. And after he's put his nets down and pulled out a great catch of fish because this guy on the beach said, put your nets on the other side, he has this deja vu moment and realises, it's Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat and he runs to the shore and Jesus asks him, hey Pete, come on, you love me. He says, yeah, you know I love you, Lord. And he has the chance three times to Put things right. So that's the context. And then we read this after this pretty life-defining stuff. In John chapter 21, verse 17, it says, A third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, I think that would have been a great place for John to end this gospel. You know, end on those words, follow me. But for some reason, he doesn't because there was still an attitude in Peter that needed to be sorted out. And this is what I want to focus in on for us this morning. Keep reading. Verse 20 says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple who Jesus loved was following them. That's John. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And When Peter saw him, he asked, but Lord, What about him? And Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Now because of this, the rumors spread among the believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is a disciple who testifies to these things, and who wrote them down, and we know his testimony is true. And Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world wouldn't have room for the books that would be written full stop. So, and that's the end of the gospel. How, how weird. John had a great opportunity to finish on this strong, now follow me. And how good if we'd all the full stop was follow me. Instead, we have this muddly bit. It feels a bit muddled, a bit like John's trying to tidy some things up. He's trying to tidy up the rumor about him, this rumor that had got around that he was going to live forever. (laughs) So he tidies that up. But the other thing that he registers is that Peter also had an attitude that needed sorting out. I think it's interesting that even when Jesus is trying to speak to Peter meaningfully about his own destiny... You know, when you were young, people led you. When you're old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. It was what we now know from church history, that Peter was crucified like his Lord. And that's what Jesus was warning him of here. That, but that also that he would live to a, an older age. And he's warning him of that. And Peter's preoccupied with, but what about John? But what about him, Lord? And Jesus said, Peter, I'm talking to you. I want you to grasp your destiny and fulfill your purpose. And he's going, but what about John? And what about him, Lord? That's just like you and me. Isn't it? Jesus is trying to have a conversation with you about you and your destiny and your life and how, what he wants you to do and be. And, and you're scrolling Facebook. And going, ooh, Lord, what about them? And ooh, Lord, what about them? And ooh, I see what they're doing. And, and Jesus says, Steve, Forget them. It's not, it's not your concern, this. What is that to you? You must follow me. And it's that line from verse 22 that I want you to catch, where Jesus says, what is that to you? What is that to you? If I let John live forever. It's not going to make any difference to your life, is it? Because it's not your life, it's his life. <laughs> what is that to you? But you must follow me. You keep your eyes on me, and you'll be okay, Pete. One commentator paraphrases verse 22 like this. Peter, this matter is not your concern. It's mine. You have one duty. Follow me. I think it's just another glimpse of Peter's humanity, who is wonderfully like me and you. And so often our unspoken questions are, Ooh, Lord, but what about? But what about? You know, you pick up from Instagram or Facebook or the church grapevine or from wherever you pick it up that someone's been promoted or that someone has got a wider ministry than you have now or that somebody's had a creative idea and done something really special and everybody's cheering and applauding them. ah, And you kind of, hmm, right hmm, I'm not, I'm not sure what, how to respond to this. So Jesus says to you in your heart, what is this to you? And he's wanting you to identify something that's rising up within you. What is it to you? And the answer is always, whatever it is, deal with it, and you must follow me. For yourself, both eyes on me, let's walk together into a God-filled future. Now, if I'm honest with you, quite often when I felt Jesus say to me, well, what is this to you? I've been very happy to have a conversation with him. Say, I'll tell you, Lord, what this is to me. I'll tell you. This is flipping unfair. That's what it is. I mean, do you know how many hours I put into doing this, this, this? And then you promote them? I mean, I know things about them, Lord. As if God doesn't. <laughs> you know, I'm... I'm not sure you can really trust them with that, Lord. I'll tell you what it is to me. I, and what you're actually saying is, and admitting, I've got an issue. <laughs> I've got an issue. Um, it's a bit unfair. It's it's undeserved. To be honest, Lord, I think it's a bad decision you just made. <laughs> and we, we we kind of police God's choices and... Police whether god how God blesses people and we try to monitor it all because we know too much stuff these days. There's too much information getting into our ether, isn't there? And Jesus has to by his spirit nudges in the ribs and go, Oi, Stephen. What is this to you? You must follow me. Don't get distracted by what I'm doing in everybody else. You must follow me. It's not your concern—it's mine. Can you handle it when God blesses other people? <laughs> you know how it is. People give the testimony of how five hundred pounds fell through the letterbox, and, uh, uh, and you're thinking, "Hmm." You can either go, you can either genuinely rejoice with those who rejoice, or you can go, "I can be grumpy with those that rejoice." It's like, uh, "You know, well, I wish it had happened to me." And it's, we, have to, we have to handle that that rises up from our flesh sometimes when the Spirit says, Stephen, what is this to you? And if I don't take responsibility for those reactions, I end up expending emotional energy on stuff, thinking about things, having conversations about things which are nothing to do with me which I can't change your influence and become a massive distraction from me following Jesus and just keeping my eye on him. My primary duty is to follow him. Well, I think these issues are very pertinent for us today because of social media and because of the amount of information that we can so easily gather But even though it's a modern problem, it's not a modern problem when you read your Bible. Do you remember when Joseph's father, Jacob, favored him above his brothers and made him a coat of many colors? His brothers didn't like it. It was as if God was saying to them, hey, well, what is it to you? You know, if Joseph is favored, if Joseph's had a dream, what is it to you? Well, that answer would have been, we don't like it. He's the youngest. We're going to kill him. So it, you know, the attitudes of their heart and their intents were exposed by that. You remember the prodigal's brother? When the prodigal gets back home after squandering his inheritance, his dad still loves him. And so his father, the father welcomes him back and puts a meal on for him and kills a fatted calf. And the older brother who now inherits everything anyway, he's like, hmm, that idiot brother of mine. And he can't rejoice with those that rejoice. We've got to be able to rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those that mourn with sincerity. You remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas, as we call him. He wasn't in the room when Jesus appeared to the other 11. Jesus appears, poof, somehow, through the walls, And eats with them and speaks to them. Thomas isn't there. We don't know why he wasn't there. So they tell him afterwards. And something rose up in him. It's like, hmm, hmm. Well, I won't believe. I don't believe. I'm not going to believe until I can see myself. And I can put my fingers into the nail prints in his hand. And something rose in him. And I think God was saying to him, Thomas, what? Is this to you? The fact that you weren't there in the blessed meeting, the fact that you weren't able to go when revival broke out at King's Church Newport, the fact that you had to babysit at home, don't let it make you grumpy. What is it to you? You must follow me. You must do what's your responsibility. You must follow me and not let those things get to us. Now, if when you sense God saying to you, Hey, what is that to you? You do feel something inappropriate rise up in your flesh. Let me give you four things that you should not do in that moment, right? I want to give you four things not to do and four things you can be. The four things not to do with this, the first is don't compare yourself to others. Sometimes you will look won't you? You'll look and see something and go, ah. And immediately what you do is you compare yourself. And then in that moment of comparison, you either have, you're either awesome or you're a worm. Because <laughs> as soon as you compare yourself with someone, you're either going to be better off or worse off most of the time. And if you're better off, that can lead to pride. If you're worse off, it can lead you to this, oh, we never get blessed we're no good, we're hopeless, I'm rubbish. No wonder 2 Corinthians 10-12 says that when we compare ourselves by ourselves, we're not wise. We're not wise. Human comparisons are just not wise. Instead, we've got to find ourselves and be ourselves and be secure in the person that God has made us. Because as we sang... In Jesus, you are complete, actually. Whatever you see others doing, whatever that you know, causes to rise up in your heart, you've got to put that aside and say, no, me and Jesus, I'm going to keep my eyes on him. And we're going to be all right here. You know, we live in a world that invites constant comparison. Everything you watch on the TV, everything you surf on your social feeds, it's inviting comparison. And the Christian world tends to be overwhelmingly positive. I know there's nasty stuff happens on social media, but in our Christian world, we tend to celebrate. So everybody's blessed, everybody's happy, everybody's rejoicing, everybody's healed, everybody's... And you look at it, you find yourself going, hmm, okay, and you compare yourself, and it's, oh, look, they were so blessed, they went to the Caribbean for their holiday. And Jesus says, and what is that to you? And you go, well, 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 well we went to Mumbles, didn't we? Or we went, we went to Barry Island or somewhere, you know. It's, <coughs> As if, you know, <laughs> they got a new car. And Jesus said, well, what is that to you? Well, have you seen what's sat on my drive? <laughs> Lord, the heap of junk on my drive. <laughs> and Jesus says, You must follow me. Be secure in your journey with me. Don't get into comparing. It's, 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 you always lose. Yeah. Oh, I see that Jenny was speaking at the youth event on Friday night. And Jesus says, oh, And what is that to you? Well, I've been saved a lot longer than Jenny. I mean, good, at least twice as long. <laughs> oh, Lord. You know, if you find yourself with a comparing yourself unfavorably problem, the truth is you might have some self-image issues. You might have a confidence issue. You, you, you might... get <clears throat> interrupt interrupted there. There might be a victim mentality going on or something. If we're comparing ourselves, it's not wise. Second thing not to do is don't, don't crave what others have. Don't crave it. No, go away, in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Craving will eat you up. Start small, you No, know, to, to envy, to covet, to crave, and it just eats away. Craving ultimately um, will kill you. And it must be replaced with contentment. It's got to be replaced by a godly contentment. You know, the Apostle Paul in Philippians four twelve said, "I've learned the secret of being content." He tapped into God in a way. He had his eyes on Jesus to such an extent that he says, "Whether I've got, whether I'm well fed or hungry, whether I'm in plenty or in want, I'm content. It's okay." In relative terms, it might seem I'm in want. In relative terms, it might seem I'm poor. But hey, I've got my eyes on Jesus. And I'm complete in him. See, it forces you to define what you mean by complete, doesn't it? It forces you to get your head around what it means for you to be happy and secure, to be yourself. I believe this is contentment irrespective of circumstances and how everybody else is doing. It's godliness with contentment that's great gain, it says in Timothy. So, you know, be content with your relationship with Jesus. Be content with your gift and fulfilling it in a way that is fruitful and brings you joy. Be content with your call and your uniqueness. So don't compare, don't crave. When you see stuff and the Holy Spirit goes, "Hey, what is that to you? Don't compete. Oh boy. Don't compete with others. I think this is potentially a word to churches and not just people as well. <clears throat> because often we'll look at other churches like we just did through the airwaves. <clears throat> and uh, it's like, well, have they got more people there than we have? I mean, are they bigger? Are they better? Are they stronger? Are they?" And Jesus says, what's that to you? This is your church. This is your home. This is the one you're building. This is your family. Rejoice when they rejoice, generally. Bless them. Cheer them on. But, come on, don't compete. Don't make it a competition. If When you hear what others have got or are doing, your instinct is, oh, well, we've got to have one too. Oh, I understand that Pastor so-and-so has gone to the Bethel Conference in America. Oh, we must go too. We need to go. It becomes competitive. And it's a problem. It's a symptom which points to the fact that you'll be ever striving to make things happen if we're not careful. Following Jesus is never a competition. It's never a competition. It is a personal commitment to a personal journey in which you express your unique self and bear unique fruit Fourth thing not to do is don't copy. You know, you'll become aware of things or people. Don't just feel you've got to copy them. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a truism, isn't it? We say, uh, You were born an original, don't die a copy. But sadly, many people die copies. They're they're, they're squeezed into this world's mould. They're squeezed into the way that social media says you should be, or your favourite TV programmes say you should be. The values of this world get on us. And before you know it, everybody's looking the same, acting the same, copying each other. Why? And you look at the top of the tree, and there's some famous influencer, does their hair a certain way, and now every man and his dog does their hair the same way. You know how it goes. No, if in the pursuit of success you find yourself copying, feeling you've got to copy to be accepted, it's another pointer where Jesus is saying, hey, what is it to you, Steve? Come on. Let, let me help you with these attitudes. Let me help you become secure. Let me help you become complete. Let me help you become the real you that I made you to be, which doesn't need you to be any other than the original you that you are. Don't compare, don't crave, don't compete, don't copy. Just stop it and follow me. Now in the scripture that we read, when Peter asked Jesus about John, what direction was Peter looking in? If you think back to it, it says in verse 20, Peter turned and saw John. So I kind of see it this way: I see it as if you know they're all the disciples are all walking together, and Jesus is out in front with Peter having this conversation. John's just behind, earwigging, because he wrote it down, so he obviously heard the conversation. <coughs> so John John's following behind, and I, I get the feel that maybe Jesus just took a step ahead of Peter, so it was kind of like. Jesus and Peter and John as they're walking down the road. And so when Jesus gets to, hey, but what is it to you? You must follow me, Peter. It's as if Jesus would have said to him, you must follow me. And Peter, instead of keeping his eyes on Jesus and following him, looks back. And there's John and says, but but, but Lord, what about him? (laughs) Looking back is what caused him to ask the question. We're not supposed to look back, are we? We're supposed to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, Let's run with perseverance, a race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Keep our eyes on him. Now that's a theme right through Jesus' ministry. Indeed, the whole Bible. You know, he talks in Luke about he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, isn't even fit for the kingdom. Our eyes need to be forward-looking on the goal, on the prize, on Jesus. When we start to look sideways and backwards, that's when all this stuff begins to unravel. You must follow me, he said to him. I think Jesus knew, you see, that if Peter would just keep his eyes on him, if he would just follow him, four things would happen. And the same four things can happen to you. Firstly, if you'll follow Jesus, you will find yourself. You'll bump into the real you, the the, the complete you in Christ. Not through any human comparison, but letting Jesus reveal you to you. It is when Peter fully grasped who Jesus was and was willing to come to peace with who Jesus was that Jesus flicked it around and revealed to Peter who he was you read it in Matthew 16, we won't turn there. But the conversation was, who who do people say I am? Jesus asked the disciples. You know, what's the gossip about me? And they have a bit of fun with it. Well, some say, think you're Jeremiah, and some think you're Elijah, and some say, maybe Moses. I can imagine them having a bit of fun. Then Jesus pulls it back down and says, but who do you guys say I am? And from Peter's heart jumped the words, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. That's who you are, Jesus. And his eyes were totally on his Lord and Master at that point. Like, you're the man. You're my Lord. Come on. Yes. And so Peter says, yeah, that's right. And you are Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And he defined his commission for the rest of his life. See, when you get a glimpse of how amazing Jesus is, he then speaks to you about how amazing you are. And how he's purposed you, how he's created you. Now what was happening here. Follow Jesus and deliberately live his way. Talk to Jesus about yourself. Ask him to reveal you to you. And think through the passions that Jesus has given you, the causes that your heart leans towards. God made you that way. He has given you those desires in your heart. So lean into them with his help. What's God made you good at? Both naturally good at and spiritually good at? Observe and take note of how God graces you. You know there are certain things that when I do them, I feel really I'm buzzing. I just, and sometimes I'm buzzing because I'm naturally good at it. Sometimes I'm buzzing because I know God has gifted me to do a thing. But you've got to find yourself, your full self by following Jesus. Yes. Be content with that. Yes. Secondly, follow Jesus and you will be free. Yes. Oh, yes, you will. You will be free from having to copy and compete and crave because in him you find he's the fullness of your joy, he's the fullness of purpose for life, and you find freedom. I guess freedom's a separate subject in some ways, and it's—I think freedom is much misunderstood. Everybody says we just want to be free. What on earth does that mean? Freedom only works if it's got boundaries and limits around it. And um, how will you choose to exercise your freedom? Is it purely for your own selfish gain or is it for the good of a greater purpose? Well, freedom has got to be exercised properly with boundaries and guidelines um, and we've got to have the wisdom to use our freedom for the benefit of others. I think that's the beauty of freedom in Christ. He sets you free from your past. He makes you free to be the unique person he's crafted you to be. And he gives you the power to choose to use that freedom to live for him or not to live for him. My prayer is that, like Joshua, who said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a choice to live for him that we make. Freedom is a massive burden. People don't know what to do with their freedom unless you choose to exercise it to follow him. Follow the one who gave you the freedom. As you follow Jesus, you will find yourself. You will be free. Thirdly, you'll be fulfilled. You'll be fulfilled. Because once you find the freedom to be your true self in Jesus, you begin to live a fulfilled life, a happy life. It doesn't have to look like anybody else's life. Because it's just your life. Fulfillment comes by being true to yourself and growing into it <clears throat> from serving the purpose you believe God has given you and at work in your unique personality and gifts and callings and so on. Although some things I can do really easily. I can harmonize really easily because I'm musical. So I just sing tenor without thinking. Um, and if, if I'm singing in a choir or a group, I love it. I get a buzz out of it. I just love hearing all the harmonies coming together. and I'm buzzing after I've been in a choir or in a group sing song. Or I think that's why I love the worship in church. Sometimes it's like, yeah, just, just a good buzz, isn't it? You know, forget God. It's just a good human buzz in my flesh because I'm good at it. Now, then I see others doing different things, and I think, hmm, oh, well maybe, well, maybe I should try that. And I have to stop doing the comp- copying and the comparing and the competing and be at peace with who I am. Say, so, right, well, how could I use how God has made me for his purpose? How can I serve Jesus with this? So I've been in the band. I've, I've, been on the, I've, done, the, I've done the choir thing. I've done the backing vocal thing. I've done the leading thing. I've done it over the years because I can do it. But I don't want to do it because I want to be a diva. I don't want to do it because I want to be on, you know, Britain's Got Talent. I want to do it because I want to honour the Lord who gave me the gift, service people with it. And that's what you saw up here this morning. People who are gifted and can sing and who are musical, who can write songs, but they're not doing it because they want to be superheroes or superstars. They're not doing it so they can be a better Instagram influencer. They're doing it because they love this house. And they want to create an environment where we can together worship Jesus. I've learned I've got to stop wanting to copy some things. And when Jesus says to me, what is that to you? The answer is, well, actually, to me, if I tried it, it would be a very bad fit. I need to stay in my strength zone and be happy there. Because as I follow Jesus, I'll find myself. Yes, I'll be free. I will be fulfilled. And lastly, I'll be fruitful. I'll be fruitful. Because I'll be producing what only I can produce. When I look at others and try and copy them or get distracted by them and try to produce what they're producing, I fail. So now I feel worse than ever. But when I'm true to who God has made me, And I make good, free choices with that. And I find fulfillment and fruitfulness through it. It's a beautiful thing. In John 15, Jesus said, I'm the true vine. And you're the branches. And every branch that remains in me will bear fruit. So, another way of saying, hey, you must follow me. Come on, keep your eyes on me, keep your eyes looking forward. Only you can bear the fruit that you're designed to produce. And God has put you in this wonderful church family. He's given you the friends and relationships you have. And Jesus says to you, hey, don't compare yourself with all this, with everybody. Celebrate their uniqueness. They need the fruit that only you can produce. You know, fruit, what's that mean? That's, that sounds deep and complicated, Steve. fruit. Fruit is just the overflow of your life. It's what grows and is is desirable, is helpful, is nourishing that comes from your life because you've got your life plugged into Jesus. So what flows out of your life is friendship and concern. What flows out is a smile. What flows out are skills that can serve and help. You can bake, you can decorate, you can you can babysit, say, that's fruit. Yeah, it's a shared life. It's being Jesus, it's being his hands and feet. And yes, some of you can worship and, and lead on the stage. Some of you can preach and communicate. Some of you can look after children and some of you can inspire young people to be heroes. And Let the fruit of the way God has made you be born in this house. I think that when we adopt an, this attitude of of not copying and competing and craving what others produce and just become content to be ourselves. Everyone wins. Everyone wins. Now, I'll conclude with this thought. Before Peter could do all that he did in Acts, Jesus just needed his eyes to be in the right place. Where are your eyes today? As soon as this service is over, you're all going to jump on your phones. And I will as well. It's what we do these days. You jump on your phone, and you're looking for certain things. You're looking for maybe certain family members, for certain church issues that have gone on, things that... We're looking for stuff. And when you see that stuff, I pray the Holy Spirit will say to you, what is that to you come on what is that to you don't come stop this comparing stuff don't crave it don't feel you have to compete with it what is that to you you must follow me you must follow me Jesus needed Peter to be be at that point because he knew it was his time Boy, it was his time to lead the church. It was his turn. The next 20 years were going to be crucial in the development of the church in the world. So he needed to follow Jesus like never before. And I dare to believe this is our time. This is our time. This is your turn. You can't get this day back again after it's gone. This week that's coming is your time and your turn. So get your eye off all the peripheral stuff. By all means, rejoice and celebrate and take an interest, but don't let it get to you. And when you feel the Holy Spirit saying, hey, come on, what is that to you? Say, you're right, Lord. What it to me is, bless them, but my eyes are on you. Come on, Jesus, we're going to live this day together. We're going to go together. (laughs) Band, you can come back up. Thank you. I'd like us to sing that song, that in you I am complete again. Before we do that, I want to pray. I want to to pray for two groups of people who might be in this room. The appeal of Jesus to Peter was, you must follow me. And there just might be someone in this room who has never answered that question positively. Jesus has been saying to you, follow me, follow me, come on, give me your life, follow me. And you've never made that first step. You've never actually ever gone, okay, Lord, I'm in. I'll follow you. I'll become a Christian. I will will try you out. Whatever language you want to use, can I urge you today, if you've never followed Jesus, dare to take a step of following him today dare to step over the line and say, I will commit my life to following Jesus. The rest of it is in the room, our our testimony that once you've made that choice, you will never look back with regret. You'll never get to a place where you say, well, I wish I'd never followed Jesus. Man, he makes you complete. He makes sense of life and the universe and the world. You know, Jesus is just so, so good. Please follow him today if you've never followed him before. Now the majority in the room have made that decision at some point. But we're human. And the truth is that sometimes we have good intentions of following Jesus. And then we get distracted. And we do the stuff we've been talking about. And some of you may just need to do a little business in your heart and say, Jesus, forgive me, that I got distracted. (laughs) I took my eyes off you. And I felt the pain of that because I've been all grumpy. I've been craving and competitive. and I've been whinging about the stuff I don't have. (sighs) Jesus, I put my eyes back on you. And just recommit to, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray for people in this room right now who have maybe never followed You before, or who have followed You and been distracted. Lord, wherever You find us today, we make a strong decision to turn our attention back to You, for our eyes to be forward-looking to follow our Master. Lord, I pray that those who decide to follow You for the first time today, would have the courage to admit that and tell someone so we can help them. Lord, for the rest of us who are just recalibrating and getting ourselves back on track, you'd give us the strength to follow through, be at peace with ourselves and each other for the greater good of your kingdom. Because we believe with all our heart that our completeness lies in following you. Amen.